0: Okay, we are live. On May 5th, 1993, 1993, three eight year old boys, Stevie Branch, Christopher Byers, and Michael Moore, were murdered in West Memphis, Arkansas. In 1994, Damien Eccles, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly were convicted of the crime. Eccles and Baldwin were tried together, and Jesse Miss Kelly was tried separately. After HBO, release their Paradise Lost documentary, a public campaign to release the three convicted child killers began. Celebrities, including Johnny Depp, Natalie Maines, and Eddie Vedder all lended their voices and opened their wallets to free the murderers. On 2011, August nineteenth, the convicted child killers pled guilty Via an Alfred plea, a plea that allows the conv- the convicts to maintain their innocence while acknowledging the state had enough evidence to convict them. Now, just short of ten years since the three were released, Damien Eccles, his wife Lori Davis, and their P- public relations agent Lonnie Surrey are claiming the DNA evidence has been destroyed. Eccles has petitioned the courts for relief. Is the evidence lost? Joining me is the author of three books on the West Memphis Three, Blood on Black, Where the Monsters Go, and The Case Against the West Memphis Three Killers, as well as a, as the host of a podcast by the same name. Welcome Gary Meese. Uh, <laughs> William Ramsey also was kind enough to join me. He's the host of William Ramsey Investigates podcast, author of the book, many books, but especially the book Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Three Case. And finally, Jennifer Carlson, who is an expert on this case. Welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. So first off, um, I've had some um I'm just going to start this stream by opening a little sparkling apple juice to celebrate Damian Eccles leaving New York City for New Orleans. So, <laughs> it's a good day for me. I think he left at the end of the month. Congratulations. I've been living many years. I my condolences to the people of New Orleans. Um, but on top, more on topic of this, um you know, Jason Baldwin has has had made a public outcry uh, that the state has destroyed the evidence, echoes, But there's one person missing in this, Jesse Miss Kelly. He seems to be saying nothing. <laughs> where is it, where is Jesse Miss Kelly in this uh, story? Where's
1: Jesse Biskelly been in the story from the beginning, right? I mean, <laughs>
0: exactly. from, from,
1: from the time of their arrest to the present, uh, not very public, not talking very much, but I think that's his role. You know, if you've been declared with an IQ of 72, but uh, it'd be interesting to see what they say. But some of these statements by by Damien Eccles are something else. I think he tweeted July 7th, 2021. The state of Arkansas continues to attempt, continues to attempt interesting language to prevent this testing from happening. Uh, It's like a conspiracy by the state of Arkansas when his side, his side should have all the evidence because they spent near $200,000 back probably starting 2005, 2006 to individually test through very well-known outside third-party scientific uh, analysis corporations Mm -hmm. to test that evidence. So why don't they have it? Mm
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. Jennifer, can you talk about the history with this DNA a little bit and and how this whole thing, I mean, they've been out for 10 years. When they took their Alfred plea, they swore that they would be fighting on the outside. Can you talk about how this all came about and, and the history with this DNA? I mean, sure. I know that there's some people who are going to say, Terry Hobbs, but it was, you know, I I hate to even use his name the second stepfather that they accuse it's his DNA. Didn't they find his DNA? Can you clear up the whole DNA issue?
3: Sure, um, that DNA was from a hair and it was uh, prior to the 2011 DNA testing that happened just prior to their uh, release. So there were, there were some items tested in 2011, um, right before their att- Echols attorneys reached out to the prosecutor to try and uh, work this Alford plea deal. And um, as far as I know, nobody had, except Eccles attorneys have ever seen those results. Um, mm-hmm. They are not public. They're not in the court record that I can find. Um, all that's in there is a status report from the uh, defense or Echo's attorneys stating that that the testing was complete. Um, and it, it it only mentions one item. It doesn't mention um, the results of any of the other items at all.
0: Mm-hmm. And what are they asking to be tested? Um, Gary or Jennifer can answer this. Um, what is what is Echols asking for? What evidence are they asking Currently? for?
2: Well, he's not asking for any testing at this point. Thank you, thank you. Okay. not asking for any testing. All he's done is file a legal complaint about keep the keeping of the records and he's unhappy with the way the the records on the evidence and the evidence itself has been preserved, but the records concerning the evidence also have not been preserved to his satisfaction. He thinks that he's basing this all on, uh, uh, the, 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 the new prosecuting attorney for that district, uh, What's his name? Keith Cressman. Anyway, Cressman has said uh, he his understanding is some of the evidence is has been misplaced, lost, possibly destroyed in a fire. And uh, this has been somewhat confirmed by the mayor of West Memphis, who, look, I know that I I had a lot of dealings with the guy back when I worked there. He was on the city council. He's, he's kind of a clown, so I wouldn't really make a whole lot of big deal of anything he says. I mean, he is the mayor, but he, you know, for instance, they're opening the I-40 bridge that's been closed for about three months this weekend, I believe, or maybe it's on Monday. He's gonna He, he said he's driving his Tahoe, the city's Tahoe across as one of the, maybe the first person to cross, but he says he's going to wear his life jacket just in case. I mean, it's a joke. <laughs> the guy—it's just hard to take him seriously. I'm sorry. And uh, anyway, he Eccles has not the the team has not made any filings concerning retesting. Uh, they could have done that any time in the last ten years. They haven't done that. They could have done that when uh, Bob Ruff and Bob Ruff plays an important part in all this. Got in touch with him for his. Uh, a tv special when and uh uh that aired last uh april or so on oxygen they didn't do anything then they left it all up to rough and uh Ruff has no standing whatsoever to ask for evidence to be turned over or retested or any anything of that nature it's not clear that anybody really has status to do that at this point damien Eccles, jason jason ballin Jesse Miss Kelly Jr. signed away all rights they had to any sort of legal action regarding uh, the murders of these three little boys when they they took their plea deal back in 2011. They have no right to file any action whatsoever about much of anything on the basis of what these papers say. So, Damien's filed a complaint. And uh, I'm not sure he really hit, can do that. I mean, the court probably will let him get away with it because courts seem to let him get away with things. But uh, he doesn't really have uh, any standing even to do that. I, I, you or I could probably go do it and be in more uh, compliance with the orders than uh, Damien is at this point.
0: And William Ramsey... Um uh, you just uh, talked about, uh, you know, they spent $2,000. Know, $200,000. 200, thank you. $200,000 to get this tested. So I just want to, if I have to hammer home uh, uh, this point. So they looked like they were almost going to get a new trial with this evidence. They get it back. And instead they ask to plead guilty. They asked for this guilty plea. And so I guess my question is, there's just such an element of public relations in this. Like yeah. that, In my opinion, that's a really slick public relations move because the press wrote, oh, this D, they had this exonerating DNA evidence, but they never had to show it. It's just in the public's mind that they were exonerated by DNA evidence. All right. Can you talk point. about the role of public relations in this case?
1: All right. Well, they got this very well-known public relations expert, Lonnie Suri, and I don't. I guess he's still working for him. I don't know, but uh, why would you need somebody from New York City to handle your case? But I think that that's always been their real skill is manipulating the court of public opinion much more so than skill they had in manipulating the in court. Uh, you know. Uh, stuff that they did in court but um yeah so Lonnie Suri was their guy and uh yeah I don't know it seemed very strange it seems strange that they spent 200,000 I've seen the, the documents that they have that they've kind of met when I mentioned the beginning of the uh, this interview but they've they got all that information and did tons of tests on the stuff that was in there so why are they complaining now I don't understand that
2: mm,
0: I I don't understand and then also um Bob Ruff did an interview with Lori Davis, who is Echo's wife, um, and Lonnie Suri. And Lonnie Suri introduced himself as a case advocate. Interesting. So, and that he's an activist with Arkansas Take Action. Why wouldn't you say, I'm head of Suri Communications? I also helped get another guy who was convicted of killing his parents, Marty Tankliff. Release. I don't know. So it's know. like he's pretending to be another person. It's so odd. But here's um, the
1: list. This can I just read you the list of what yeah. they had done? This is from back yeah, sure. in 2005. So they had Michael Moore, left hand nail scrapings, right hand nail sca- scraping, Caucasian hair ligatures, swabs, nail scrapings, right hand scraping from Stephen Branch ligatures. So these are from the these are the to documents that are in there. Christopher Byers left-hand nail scrapings, right-hand nail scrapings, tissue, all the stuff that was there that was supposedly there 15 years ago. So why are they trying to complain now when they had that first bite at the apple? And they never really showed that the, the, the so-called, you know, exonerating hair uh, publicly. Right. I mean, they just said that they had it, but did they ever really share that with anybody? The Terry Hobbs hair. They have shared
3: that, that DNA report that's on um, the, uh, Callahan website gotcha. um, but I can but I can do you one better they, um in 2011 that the stuff that they wanted DNA tested right before um, that was tested right before they asked for the Alfred plea um, they asked for hair not yet tested remaining biological extracts all of the victims clothing the wooden planks near the crime scene sheriff's badge bike reflector bikes ice pick cigarette butts and packs child's wallet hook and rope and all sticks found at the crime scene. And what they are claiming now is that they want to have tested with this MVAC technology, which existed in 2011, by the way, are shoes, socks, Boy Scout caps, shirts, pants, underwear, sticks, and shoelaces. They were all tested previously in 2011 for DNA, and they have not released um, those lab results.
0: So do you think, Jennifer, do you think um, Bob Ruff is I, – I know you were in communication saying, you know, look for that evidence, of that DNA evidence that they still haven't handed over. Do you think he's acting like this is a terrible, uh, this is horrible that they will never know now what the DNA evidence could have said? Do you think he's a true believer or – do you think it just didn't sink in i mean does that I, just not I sink think in Bob believes,
3: i think he believes they're innocent um i i don't know why but, but um i think um you know i asked him when he was down there in um the prosecutor's office to get the 2011 uh dna lab reports and they did not have them or they could not find them find them for him and um he asked i think it was uh Lori Davis um, for them, and she couldn't find them. He asked, I think her name was Rachel, their previous private detective um, that worked on the case for Eccles for them, and she didn't have them. Um, The only one that I know that ever received them was Eccles' attorneys at the time.
1: Right. I think that the group they used was the Bode Technology Group, Inc. At least that was what it was back in 2004, 2005.
3: Yeah, that's correct for 2011 as well.
2: Right. Bob Ruff Ruff stated in one of his recent podcasts about this after this all came out, he stated, after you heard from different people, he stated his theory, which is that none of the evidence has been destroyed. The West Memphis police is just conspiring to keep it from the West Memphis Three. That's his theory. He has no basis for this theory except his own paranoid fantasies. He, he
3: doesn't have much basis for many of his theories, honestly.
2: I agree. I, I agree. Having listened to everything he's ever done about the West Memphis Three at least once, and most times, two or three times, he doesn't have any basis for a lot of what he says. And even his facts are often wrong. So, you know, it's he's, it's, he's not a credible source on any of this, but he is the one who got this whole thing started by making the the noise about the uh, MVAC technology being available, which it was available back in 2010, 2011.
3: I find that ironic that he, you know he's technology. he's claiming they need to get this um, MVAC testing done, but he's he won't press them to, to give him the reports from the 2011 DNA testing that they already have done. Um, he won't even ask them a second time for it.
0: Well, I think we should, you know, maybe we should tell Bob Ruff about this new technology called like a CD player. We can maybe send him one. It's about, you know, it's just coming out. <laughs> See, the special gift, Eccles too. I mean, you made the point, Gary, that you thought was the most important that it's not n- not new. Um, why do you think it's so important that, why do you think they keep saying it's new technology, new technology?
2: Because because it's a convincing argument if you go to court to say oh this that may be convincing at least it's a reasonable argument to go to court and say there's new technology that we didn't have at the time mm-hmm. so so we can we should be able to retest these with this new technology the problem is is that the technology was available to them then they didn't avail themselves of it apparently so that's not on the courts to remedy that problem that is a problem that. Damian Eccles needs to take up with his consultants and defense counsel if it's a real problem. One other thing, I, one other thing I want to make a point is we actually, all this noise about missing evidence, and you have a very good question there is the evidence missing? And Bob Ruff says, no, no, it's not missing. The fact is, is we don't really know what's missing, when it was missing, why it's missing, who caused it to be missing. Uh, and uh, a lot of the reports on this are ba- based on such things as an unreported source telling Janice Broach, uh, who's a reporter, longtime reporter and knows everybody in the West Memphis Three case uh, uh, that, uh, you know, that she got some information about that from an, un, an unnamed source. But we don't know who the source is. And she, it's a TV report. They're going to do anything for, for ratings and it makes better, better news if the West Memphis three uh, evidence is missing. And this is a win-win situation for Eccles and his team because no matter what happens, they're going to look like the victims. If they can't find some of the evidence, then he's the victim. If They go to court and the court shoot them down. He's a victim. They go to court and the state can't come up with some of the evidence. He's a victim. Now, everything that happens is is he can play to his benefit. There is no downside to him for this, except ultimately it's going to be – the only downside is it's going to be ultimately ineffective in anything except in the court of public opinion that William referred to, and that's all he really cares about.
0: And um, what what is Mara Levitt's um, – she says she's um, submitting freedom of information um, – acts what what is what is, what is her role in this case uh oh, gary
1: Cur- currently or back in the past because i don't oh, know yeah, anything that's you, recent yeah. i don't know any recent stuff about her either.
2: well she she has filed uh recently for uh she filed a freedom of information act uh request for uh information about any fires that had occurred since there was a report that a fire may have destroyed some of this evidence. And she asked for it for 10 years back, which didn't really help since the mayor said, what well, might've been 15 years back. So she went back and requested for 15 years. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how well, or I have an idea cause I've been in there a little bit, but to, the, I don't know how, exactly how well organized the records are at the West Memphis three. Uh, I mean, the West Memphis Police Department is and the fire department, they're probably not that well organized. So mm-hmm. going back for records for 15 years and looking through the, all those records of all those fire reports and finding the ones that may have involved city property could be a very complicated job. And some records may have been misplaced or lost, which does happen. And so, and which will give fuel to conspiracy theorists. But the fact is, is they were not able, they complied with her first request. They haven't complied with her second request. And she's complaining about that and saying they're violating the uh, Freedom of Information Act. The prosecutor apparently went in there Friday and just let it be known that he is absolutely immune from any uh, uh, criminal, you know, any kind of liability in this, this, th- these matters because he's a prosecutor. So if they want to pursue uh freedom of information violations or anything else, then he, you know, he's, he's exempt from all that. So
0: I have a question and I guess it's to, to everybody. Did we lose William?
2: We lost William.
0: Oh, here, hold on.
2: I'm, I'm back. No, sorry.
0: Sorry. Okay. Um So are they saying that the state of Arkansas, for some reason, after the West Memphis three asked to to plead guilty and I and I put up the links to their um, uh, liability claim um, thing that they signed and the Alford plea at the top of the live chat if anyone wants to read um, them. So are they claiming that they after they pled guilty that the state of Arkansas just like snuck and they destroyed the evidence by purposely set a fire, or are they claiming that they destroyed it in some other way? Or are they claiming that they did both?
3: I think they're. I think they're claiming that the evidence is just gone, and they they want to know why. And they. I don't think they really even know that the evidence is gone. Um, but what, what they're trying to get out of it, in in my opinion, is they're they're trying to get to endgame, which is we can't prove we're innocent, so you have to assume the evidence is in our favor and ex- and declare us exonerated. I think that's what they're going for.
0: Well, I just want to read one of Damien Eccles' tweets. Um, he's blocked me on Twitter, but <laughs> I think it's West Memphis Three Facts was nice enough to post it on uh, Facebook. The West Memphis fire department appears to have decided to aid and assist the police department in destroying evidence and thwarting justice. They are currently breaking federal law. So um, he's making specific claims that they that these guys and I, I invite my audience to look at the press conference they did when they got released. Um, William, can you talk can you talk about Mara Leverett's book and the press conference, those two things? Um like the sub I guess they just play, they they said, Oh, we're gonna fight from the outside. But Mara Leverett has an interesting history, her book, Devil's Not. Can you talk about that?
1: You want me to talk about it? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, very interesting history because The proof copy of it was found in the Damien Eccles storage locker when they just didn't pay the storage locker. And there was very, very interesting information in that storage locker, not just this uh, pre-signed book. And uh, there's pictures of Eccles' wife, girlfriend, whatever. Um, with Mara Leverett's girlfriend. She is, I think, a lesbian. So they're friends. They were friends back in 2004, 2005. I think the book came out right around then. And uh, so you got to kind of wonder about some objectivity. And there's a lot of problems with Mara Leverett. um, Other than, like when I used to have my YouTube channel, I had a video of her sitting with uh, Baldwin laughing and kind of goofing around while somebody asked her a question. She said, nobody saw these people. They would have been all muddy, but that was really a central component of the court case back in 93. And i just also like to make a point that the timing of this interview we're having right now is pretty remarkable because it's almost 10 years to the date of when they got released, right? So the probation of Eccles and Baldwin and Miss Kelly is probably coming to an end here very shortly, probably in the next week or two. But uh, yeah, Mara Lever- theres I mean, that was like one of the head scratchers when I really started Getting into this whole case was what's going? Why is this the book of record? Why are there glaring uh, omissions in this book? And why, you know, why, what what is her her relationship to some of these people? And what type of person her is, she is? And so, I think that uh, yeah, very questionable. Definitely not, in my opinion, not objective. She's in Arkansas as well, and I uh, you know I, I don't know what her friends are, but what the heck is is Eccles' girlfriend, wife doing with her girlfriend? Slash what? Right. And also,
0: you're talking about a book before it's released. Um, it was sent to, to Eccles. And so that's a you're talking about proof copy, meaning right. that it hasn't been released. And she's asking for the, her input before it gets released.
1: Right. And another and she's point.
0: presenting herself like she's just this independent journalist. Right. And I thought um, she also tried to get Was it Mark Gardner out? Was that the another killer out on death row? Is, is that right, I Gary? Or that. She yeah, was, wrote
1: about the boys on the track, but another interesting point is that, um oh, God, what was it? It was that she, it wasn't, no, I just lost, no, I don't remember. Yeah, but she's, yeah, there's a very serious question about her.
2: That, right. she, she was very involved, the boys on the track. In fact, she just has a book out about that. I'm not trying to give her free advertising. She, um, I want to say briefly before anything else is that on August 19th, it will be 10 years to the day that they were out and they signed these papers. And apparently at the end of this probation period, then uh, any, basically the, the, the case just dies. I mean, they don't have, it doesn't go anywhere. There's nothing left to do with it legally whatsoever. And, so if there was any legal action that needed to be taken, it needed to be taken sometime before August 19th. So we get down to just days and weeks before this uh, this date, and they find a pretext to file this the, the, this motion with the courts to uh, complain about the way the evidence has been held. And I really look at it in a certain sense as Damian Echols trying to, like squeeze back in so he can make his case for, and his lawyers talking about, uh, uh, you know, there may be, they may be a compensation. We may have to sue. It may abrogate the, the plea, the plea agreement that, uh, that engineered their release. Uh, you know, everything's going to be on the table. I don't think the courts are going to look at, at it that way, but I mean, I don't know. Cause I don't know what's going to happen when you get to court. But, but I, I don't see that happening. However, they are able to make this plea to the public. And if by some chance they somehow prevail and squeeze something in at the last minute uh, that they can keep going on in the courts, then they can keep this going on forever in the actually in the court system. Now they've done nothing for 10 years to try to do this, but they wait till the last minute to do this.
1: Right. I remember what I was going to say about Leverett. In those in the uh, storage lockers, I think there was a note that there was a payment to be made to Reardon and Horgan for analyzing her book. So they went through and, and sifted through her book to see if there was anything incriminating or anything like that. So that was, that was also kind of interesting that uh, the lawyers took the time to, to make sure that uh, everything in the book was acceptable.
2: She she was promoting uh, the, in, the so-called innocence of this. Uh, I can't. I just don't have the, his name off the top of my head. But J- Jason Baldwin's little uh, uh, scheme down in uh, Austin uh, proclaimed justice. Uh, he was piggybacking backing on the release of this guy on probation after serving like twenty something years in prison, as if he somehow engineered his release. It, it, you know. Here's a picture and here's a big, you know, Jason smiling, hugging the guy and all this stuff. And, you know, it's just a routine, you know, this is how we handle murders after they've been in prison for a while. You know, at some point we got to let them out. We don't have to let them all out, but some of them we're going to let out. And she was promoting, uh, Mara was promoting that for a very long time. I want to remind everybody for a long time, she was promoting the idea that, The late Mark Byers, she didn't say so explicitly, but so much of the book was devoted to the bad dealings, literally bad drug dealings of Mark Byers, and it made him look like a really bad guy. Man, he would be the perfect alternative suspect, and guess what? He wasn't. He never was. Right. He
1: was the first uh, Terry Hobbs, right? It was Byers. Oh, yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, at the hearing in 2013, it was interesting because Byers was there and he was on crutches and Mara was there. And this was uh, the ev- uh, hearing about some evidence uh, that uh, Pam Hobbs wanted to see. And all Jason Baldwin was there. It was a whole bunch of the characters were there. And Mark Byers has very long arms. He reaches across the aisle to Mara and and motions for her to offer her hand, and she looks over at him, and then sort of reluctantly hands her hand over to the guy. It was so strange, uh, but uh, they made peace at some point. Uh, just, I just did a quick search. She was,
0: she wrote about Mark Gardner, who was in the cell next to Eccles, and oh, do we lose Jennifer?
2: Looks like it. Oh, no.
0: Hold on one sec. She Is wants to something? be let back
2: in. She wants to be let okay,
0: back in. Okay, okay, got it. Sorry about that. If that, sorry, um, that's okay. Um, sorry if that was my doing. Um, she wrote about him, and she wrote like my friend Mark is on death row in October, nineteen ninety nine. So she, is, so Eccles isn't the only death row inmate she has cha- championed. Um, just to uh, read a little bit of it, corruption permit permeated the maximum security unit in the first half of this decade and Mark made the most of it and she just refers with it the friend bought arts about you know it's just it talks about him by using the first name and you know (laughs) my friend Mark and it it, the guy was a you know not the greatest of guys as as they tend to be on death row
2: so Wasn't, wasn't he the guy that supposedly was raping her good friend Damien
0: correct Correct, and I, I can send the the I, I can share the link in my Facebook
2: group of this if anyone's interested. By removing um, a concrete block between their two cells, which is is a, quite an engineering feat for a rape, but so be it.
0: Right. So he claimed that he was being right raped by Mark, and he trying to sue Eccles was trying to sue, but he was actually moving the brick, or what, what was going on with that? Gary, refresh my
2: memory. I mean, do I actually know? I don't know. But uh, the, what seemed to be happening is that Eccles and, they, and this seemed to look more like a scheme that was cooked up between Eccles and uh, Mark Gardner to embarrass the prison officials. Apparently, they found a way to re- get this block loosened up. And so then Eccles could claim he was being sexually abused And they could, the prison officials would look really, really bad. And so it was just a big setup and it's actually not that different in intent and purpose to the setup that's currently going on with this so-called missing evidence.
0: And um, so I think, I mean, my theory on this is, and um, uh, Gary Meese said, this is like the last, but I have a theory that this is a money grab. I mean, they, I mean, Eccles has not, he doesn't have a best-selling book. He doesn't have, um, his fame is dwindling. His last couple books have been, I believe, self-published, or published by a very small publisher. That's, you know, it seems to be like...
2: It, he has a fairly solid publisher. I think it's, um, sounds true, or something, but... Sounds
0: true, but it's yeah, but, a far cry from his, the release of his first book, which was huge, and they had Johnny Depp was at the height of his money then and the, his fame. And he was staying at um, that director's place. He did Lord of the Rings. Why I always forget his name. Help me.
1: Peter Peter Jackson. Thank Peter.
0: you. Peter Jackson's place in New York. And, um, you know, it just seems like he's moving out of New York. He's He is starting a business of magical, which is not um, hardly, <laughs> you know, Hardly another kind of, you know, money making business. Uh, magical practice is not known uh, for the millions of dollars. And I think that in the current climate, uh, with our court system, if they can just get the public riled up enough and put enough pressure on, they might, you know, uh, get some kind of payout. I think is what they're hoping for. And at the end of the Bob Ruff interview. Damian Echols comes on and says, you know, they were trying to kill me and blah, blah, blah. He says, and I, I agree with him in this way. He says, I think I would have been executed had it not been for the public outroar, outrage. And I agree. So um, then he asked for donations because they need money. I'm quoting, they need money to get done what we need to get done, unquote. So once again, I mean, the it's always about money with the wrongful conviction movement. Um, where I, I want to ask, where are the celebrities?
1: Good question. They don't seem to be around anymore. They don't seem to be supporting. Maybe that's the thing. He keeps, That gravy train's gone. So maybe he's got to stay out in the public thing. It kind of reminds me of Alistair Crowley, uh, Eccles' you know, idol, is that Crowley was always trying to stay in the public mind. Even bad press was good, so... I kind of see Eccles in that same vein as always just looking for an opportunity to have a sob story. You know, he's moved off of uh, his broken teeth and he was about to die. So now the new sob story is uh, maintaining the conspiracy that was going on in Arkansas, all just to frame him for wearing a heavy metal shirt.
0: And they changed their story. Jennifer, can you talk a little bit about how they changed their stories? The West Memphis Three and tell, and the their supporters don't seem to pick up on it
3: you're talking about uh, their original stories about uh, when the murders occurred their their original interviews take your pick either echo <laughs> stories and prison
0: stories uh, they still don't have their alibis together
3: you uh, know they change everything um well miss Kelly's not allowed to talk anymore so um, you don't hear anything from him but uh, but we have heard I think I, I don't know how many there are six or eight different versions of the story from him um but the one consistent thing in all those stories is that the three of them killed the three little boys that has not changed um but baldwin wasn't allowed to talk back then Um, his mom wouldn't allow him to talk um and Eccles basically tells you that he thinks whoever did it was cool and um you know, they probably had a good time doing it. And
0: he also denied, um, he's also denied, and this was his supporters denied that he was ever into magic. Um, William Ramsey, can you talk about that?
1: It's kind of laughable. If you go, just go look, I'm looking through his Amazon books right now, and they're all about magic. He's kind of kept the same sigils. He's got the witch language, the Theban language. It looks like he's published another book um, under a different name. It's called Tres Magistus Magic, but it's not his his authorship, but I can tell it's his magical work. So he's publishing stuff under not even his name. And it seems like he's calling himself a magus, but uh, it's a farce. Look at all of the tattoos on his body, all the cult. Even he had the the downward-facing pentagram uh, prior to the trial. There's pictures of that. I used to have a video about that, and he lied about it on the stand.
3: Right, and he tried to. He couldn't find that one when he had to go and look for it when he was right. interviewing with Bob Ross.
1: Right, so that's the. You know, it's just such a joke. I mean, the reason he got. I mean, my opinion of why he got out and his attraction to all of these people who are above board and underneath the surface who supported him, kind of like Marilyn Manson, is that he is a very Encyclopedic has an encyclopedic knowledge of the occult, and that's probably was the cause of the crime, in my opinion. So that's really the core thing, and that's his own admission. You and I have talked about that, Roberto, when he made that admission on Vice TV. I was prosecuted, I don't remember verbatim, but I was prosecuted for my love and knowledge, love of the knowledge of Aleister Crowley, flat out. And that's really what got my interest in the case because I had written a bio on Crowley. Prophet of evil. And then there it is right in the court case where he's scribbling notes about Jason Baldwin in a weird language and one one writing is Alistair Crowley and the prosecutor asked him right there on the stand. So to say that there's no magic, you have to be willfully ignorant or blind or just absolutely zapped by mind magic to not see that in the case. And I think that's a lot of that manipulation that he's doing in public very successfully, I might add, um, has a basis in his magical ideas. I mean, he has a book called Mind Magic that nobody's ever read. So I don't even know where that is, but I've seen the title. But uh, yeah, so to say that there's no occultism, it's probably the central central core element of the whole case.
0: Do you agree with that, uh, Gary and Jennifer?
2: I, I, I think it is the defining, uh, Feature and purpose of Damien Eccles' existence. Everything he does it has for, for, virtually his whole life has been involved. Has been centered around magic. He state he has stated that he became fascinated with all this at a very early age, and somehow, as a preteen, he became intrigued with the ideas of the Golden Dawn, which was a uh, secret society that Alistair Crowley was affiliated with and a bunch of really prominent, very WB Yeats and other people were also involved in. But, uh, so he, he, it's been uh, the defining feature of his entire life. That's all. It's basically all he's done since he's gotten out of, um, prison. Uh, he and Laurie have a new book coming out called rituals, uh, next year sometime. So he's keeping the books cranking. I, he reminds me of people that uh, I used to see pop up like in, like the new (coughs) back when the new age thing was bigger, where they would like do a circuit and they'd travel around to these little bookstores and give little talks and people would give them donations and they'd sell five or 10 books and they'd move on to the next little bookstore someplace and he's not quite getting to that level yet, but he will sooner or later, I think, because the the interest is just not, his books really don't sell that well, except for his uh, uh, biography is sold pretty well, but the rest of them haven't really sold that well. Even up for magical studies, they don't sell that well. And uh, so at some point, there's diminishing returns with all this. And I think it's instructive to look at how Alistair, Alistair Crowley actually ended up at the end of his life. He started out wealthy, uh, successful, relatively good looking, athletic, and he ended up a broken down heroin addict living in a, uh, a rooming house at uh, the ass end of England, someplace. So Hastings, yeah, he was in Hastings. Hastings. So- yeah, I, I don't think it was the nicest place to live in England at that time, but I could be wrong. No, I, I don't think so. I would think it was
1: just retirees and older people. Yeah, but he was right. a heavy duty, heavy duty heroin addict.
2: Right, and I'm not—I'm certainly not suggesting Eccles is a heroin addict. I don't know what he does in, in terms of that. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised in anything, but I'm not suggesting that. What I am saying is, uh, you know, he's there's going to be diminishing returns with this over a period of time, but he's milking it for all it's worth. And as I say, he, the, you know, this is this all. This is William is alluded to, Jennifer's alluded to, you've alluded to. It's all about the PR. It's all about looking good, and the public perception and the actual facts don't really matter with this case. They never have.
0: Why is the press? I mean, why the mainstream press? Doesn't seem to put out anything but that the West Memphis Three were wrongfully convicted, that they were released with DNA evidence. Why? What does anyone have any idea why the press is so poor on this case?
1: I think that was one of their central. Once they got at least Reardon and Hogan, my understanding is that was their really one of their central approaches to the case. It wasn't just an in court case, but they are. Aside from having document, you know, talking about thanking Johnny Depp for paying his legal bills for the month, which were like 30 or 40,000 bucks, um, they're talking about getting friendly reporters to go to Arkansas. Uh, Reardon is specifically stating these things. So um, the, they, that is back in 2005, 2006. So I think that that was really, even before, it seems like even before they hired Lonnie Sorry, there was always uh, an intent, at least with the more sophisticated, attorneys that were outside of Arkansas um, a more sophisticated intent to get friendly reporting done on this case.
2: And, you know, I, I spent I spent uh, years and years literally inside newsrooms. I will tell you that they really love an underdog story, partially because the public loves an underdog story and frame properly, this is an underdog story about a poor Poor little teenager in uh, Arkansas who's actually three of them who've mis- been mistreated by the system, and reporters are real suckers for all this, and they they love it. And it, even if it's not true, they will buy into it. I've seen them do it over and over again. I will tell and the you, celebrity
3: will, factor too. they the love celebrities.
2: They love celebrities. I was in the newsroom the afternoon that the the the, the, the information came in about the Hobbs hair. And they were practically cheering the news that the West Memphis three were all almost certainly innocent. And I was wondering—I really wanted to see what it was all about. When I finally got to read the story, I said, "This doesn't really prove anything." And and, and I was a minority of one, basically, in a room full of people who are all just all ready to give them the a, a pass on this on the basis of a single hair with really with. DNA evidence that really didn't prove anything.
0: It matches millions of people. I just want to—they really also use Lori Davis, especially. I mean, this uh, case is so much about Damien Eccles and Damien Eccles' magnetism and Damien Eccles. He's the one out in the front. He's the one doing the interviews. He's the one, you know, with the celebrities, but. They use Lori Davis too in their love story. They had a book published with their letters and their love story. Um, someone asked, what is Lori Davis's deal? Does does anyone have any theories on her? What's it didn't, didn't you call it hybridia? Bristoph- <laughs> yeah, isn't the word
1: you use is hyperstophilia?
0: Yes. I think that's I, been banded about. I, I think so. And I think also she's a if she's not, wasn't into magic before this, she's obviously into it now. She's publishing a book about it uh, with him, but um, they, this is, she's not, she's not unusual uh, in the wrongful conviction movement. They love using the prison wives and putting them out there saying, look at this good person. She was, she had this kind of job and yet she would marry this criminal. So it's a way to, make the convicted murderer look more likable and more innocent if this person this good normal person would stake everything in their innocence but in the same way in the same thing for the celebrities why would someone like Johnny Depp when he still had a fairly good reputation now he and Marilyn Manson their reputation is pretty much in the
1: um, in the tank,
0: yeah. Yeah, in the tank. <laughs> Thank in, the, you. in the bottom of the porta potty or whatever. You want to call it, yeah. yeah, right. So, uh, yeah. So I was thinking about that. So many of the celebrities, like Eddie Vedder, they were bigger when in, ten years ago. Now they're sort of passe. I don't think any any millennials would know who half of these celebrities who supported the West Memphis Three are. Yet this case goes on and on. Why do you think people are still interested in this case? And I, that's a question for everybody.
1: Well, I would say just because of its notoriety, right? I mean, I think this case has been around 1993, three documentaries from HBO plus West of Memphis, which is garbage, which is actually interesting because there's so many admissions there. Uh, Eccles himself says at the end, I want to be the greatest magician that ever lived. But uh, you know, so much of this stuff is still around. And I think that that's really their success is getting this case out in a in the complete opposite manner of what really happened, uh, which is that they murdered these three boys. So I think that this will be like one of those national cases that everybody knows and has an opinion on. They're still talking about it. I mean, this one podcast recently did a thing on West Memphis Three, it was a, it was a joke. But I mean, they didn't get it right, very popular podcast. So uh, I think that it'll just be one, all the true crime podcasts probably have at West Memphis Three uh, episode. And very few of these so-called true other than yours to your credit, Roberta, get it right.
0: Mm. Of these, these podcasts. Yeah. Uh, uh, Jennifer, do you have a
3: theory on 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 this? Why why people are so fascinated with this case? Um, well, I can tell you why I am. I I um, you know, I as soon as I saw the documentary and saw the opening scene, I could not get those three boys out of my head. I still can't to this day. Um, I know that a lot of the people follow the case because of the perpetrators in the case and not the victims, but um, I personally follow the case, and I know a lot of other people do, um, for the, the three victims, um, and they, they want to see them get justice. Even the people who think that they're innocent, I, I believe most of them want justice for the three boys. They've just been misled by the documentaries. Oh,
2: Gary, well, um, I was, I was there, I was basically working in the commercial appeal newsroom at at the time, all this coverage was going on. And so I was very aware of it. Um, and you know, the, the sheer horror of the crime was bad enough. I, at the time, my son was more or less that age. And so it wasn't it wasn't hard for me to project my son into the image of these boys, and I still can do that. And it wasn't hard, and, and uh, when I was working in West Memphis and I saw the letter from Todd Moore and the other parents to the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences about how they'd been mistreated by the media, it wasn't hard for me to, um, identify very strongly with them and feel that they had been, they were the real victims besides their children. They were also victims in this case. And I felt that that was something that needed to be, uh, righted up to that point. I had, I just sort of followed the case in a fairly pedestrian fashion. I mean, I would keep track of it. I saw the movies and I always thought they were guilty. Uh, but I wasn't as aware of some of the evidence as, uh, as I am now. I think pretty obviously. But uh, I always thought they were guilty and with good reason. But uh, could explain it. But uh, you know, uh, it's it's a it's a horrific case. And then the the post release behavior of people like particularly Damien Eccles just continues to draw attention. If they just simply melted off into the landscape someplace, we wouldn't be talking about it now. The interest would have dropped off. Instead, he had celebrity; he had all this huge celebrity factor going on for a long time, you know. um, And you know, invited to speak at the for UN events and colleges and so forth. He had a real aura of respectability for a brief time until he kind of blew that with his ceremonial magic. But uh, you know, there's all that going on. It's it's very high profile and it continues to stay that way. It doesn't surprise me in a certain sense. I just I'll, I just wonder where it's all gonna eventually go. And I don't I don't have any idea. Hmm. I, I would I say think, I, will, I, do, I was was totally duped. Oh sorry. I think it's gonna be, I think it's gonna be a, a household I would think it's gonna be a household term that people are at least vaguely familiar with even like Lizzie Borden or something like that, when they don't know any of the facts of the case, but they're aware, oh, there was this ho- horrible crime and her name's attached to it from 100 years ago, 100 years from now. I think that's where it's going eventually.
0: I will tell you, I was totally duped by by Paradise Lost um, as a young person. And uh, I think when I heard, oh, I, guess, I guess around, I, I, was it before or after they released? Um, it was Ed Opperman's show. The first time I ever heard anyone say that they were <laughs> William Ramsey, Dave McGowan, that show, it's the first
1: That's, That show's still out there, still there mm-hmm. The great Dave McGowan, yeah, he kind of keyed into it too, but uh, I think that it'll just go on forever and there will be tons of journalism, either audio or video, and it'll start with Amy Knuckles, Jason Baldwin, Jesse Miss Kelly convicted for a crime they didn't commit, just like they've done for the last 28 years or what, 20 years. It'll be that same statement. So then uh, that'll be what people remember. I think the majority of people still think they're innocent. Wouldn't you guys agree with
3: that? I would agree. I
1: would I agree. So.
0: And and that's what I was not prepared for. I thought <laughs> I thought that if I laid out all the evidence and you know asked a lot of good questions and had them think about Jesse Miss Kelly's all his confessions after he was convicted against his lawyer's advice and why would that happen and, and really first off I thought that maybe someone had would have an answer for me That's something I hadn't thought of and second but it was just to say secondly that I wasn't prepared for the emotional connection that people made to these convicted child killers and they will argue t- with me till they're blue in the face, mostly insult me <laughs> and uh, about their innocence, but it's not really based on anything except, a, a, I, I don't know if it's a belief or a connection or that I was not prepared for is the, 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 just how, The inability to sway some of these supporters.
1: Yeah, no, that's really true. And you can tell they go after you, too. They'll downvote your books or your podcast. But I was surprised, too. I mean, it was really kind of a howl. Like, they were howling that I could actually come out and say, hey, there's real problems here. And this is an abomination. They should not get out of jail. And I think, actually, you know, uh, Eccles getting out of jail is probably the intent of all the people who wanted him to get out of jail. Is his metastasizing and spreading these occult ideas on the surface, you know, whatever it is, but you don't really know what's going on. Have you ever seen Echos with his gold mask giving uh, tarot readings? I mean, it's there's some creepy stuff going on.
0: Very creepy, and you uh, keyed into it because even the non-supporters didn't want to talk about much the occult element uh, in this crime. And then when after he got out and just devoted his entire life to magic, it's a little hard to, <laughs> to deny it now that he's and And he's admitted it himself, you know, like like you uh, referenced just um just recently that he was he says in that vice article he was um, convicted for his love of Crowley, love and knowledge of Crowley. so
2: there you go yeah, i I, do, I don't think we could ever uh, part of the appeal for this is is Eccles is very effectively played upon perhaps not a universal. Uh, experience, but a very common experience. One I certainly share, and I can somewhat identify with, which is being the the kid, the outcast kid who doesn't quite fit in. Which every teenager feels this. I think maybe they all don't, but the outcast kid who doesn't quite fit in with society, and he's and everybody mistreats him, and you know, and then and then they all gang up on him at some point, and you know, he's the victim. And th- there's a lot of people who really identify with teenage Damien Echols as this figure that is a mirror image of themselves.
3: Right. And mm-hmm. until, until they realize yep. that he you know, used to kill and torture animals and keep their skulls in his room and um, all of the <laughs> weird stuff that he was doing back then that teen- normal teenagers who would just feel like outcasts do not do.
2: Right, except they all, they'll all they just simply deny that any of that ever happened, even if you present the evidence to them. Oh, well, who said that? Oh, it was Jason's cousin? Well, why did he do that? Maybe, you know, there's always, theres they're never just going to take what seems obvious as the obvious answer. They're always going to come back with, a, well, why was this and why was that and why did they get released? And, you know, there's some really good reasons why they got released. And it had a whole lot to do with Scott Ellington not want to uh, ha- have his ass handed to him in court because he didn't know what he was doing.
3: I think it had a lot to do with Dustin McDaniel and Patrick Banka as well because
2: yeah. I don't know
3: if you noticed this, but Dustin McDaniel um, is now on the letterhead um, that Patrick Banka set in their law partners now.
2: Yes, yes, I've I mentioned that in my podcast, and it's they. They worked out a deal over lunch in Little Rock and Scott Ellington went along with it and said, oh, yes, I'll be happy to go along with this because I don't want to deal with this. And uh and Scott Scott Ellington, Dustin McDaniel was going to run for governor that went bl- bluey over a sex scandal. Scott Ellington was going to run for Congress and he just simply didn't ha- win the favor of the voters, but he was going to run for Congress. And the last thing they needed was a West Memphis three trial popping up in the middle of all that and running their plans. Scott Ellington was perfectly happy to accept their plea deal and not look at it too closely.
0: Yeah. You, you called him a feckless wimp, uh, in your most recent, one of your most recent podcasts
2: yeah, I was just reading a story about him to, I was doing some little research today, uh, and I saw something where I think he referred to this as uh, a maggot sandwich. and sometimes you just got to eat a maggot sandwich. so I did. I would say feckless wimp is correct if that <laughs> if
0: he's telling the truth there. Um, what do you think the lessons we can learn from this case are? Starting with William?
1: I think there's a lot there to unpack. I think it just, you can see that occultism for me, occultism is real and that it actively is involved in certain events. I also think the power of public relations to change people's mind. In literal, I wouldn't say the overt mind control, but there's a lot of manipulation and a lot of uh, knowing manipulation t- taking place in this case. And a lot of these people who, or truly think they're innocent have been manipulated. So I think that's very important, it's kind of like the madness of crowds element of followers that really doesn't seem to subside. I think is an important takeaway of the West Memphis 3. And also just this kind of saga element of these crimes, they just go on and on. There's and uh this case just doesn't seem to end. It's just a new wrinkle pops up, whether it's the you know, whether their storage locker gets exposed and he's writing about I, I am the devil and talking about Lori and all gags and stuff. I mean, there's just all so much information that keeps coming out. But, uh, yeah, there, I think there's a lot of takeaways for kind of media, understanding the media and understanding. Uh, yeah, just yeah, just incredible themes that take place in the West Memphis three. Uh,
0: Gary.
2: Well, I want to echo William, and and I think the the big thing that people really can take away from this if they look into it is how irresponsible the media can be and how lazy and uh, irresponsible many journalists are. And they're perfectly happy just to go along with whatever the prevailing narrative is and that a public opinion can be molded fairly easily if you have some skilled practitioners and some money and uh that that isn't news to me but uh this case has made me even more deeply aware that whatever i'm looking at is uh often has um uh elements in there that i'm just that aren't being brought out because it would destroy the narrative that i'm seeing uh and you know and we've seen a whole rash of movies that you you you, if you were making a living off this roberta you would make a living off all this but uh amanda knox and stephen avery and all that 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 those are all children of damian Eccles and jason baldwin so you know, that's where all that comes from. They're the paradigm.
0: <laughs> There's not a lot of money in this side of it, but
3: uh, Jennifer? And I was going to say, don't don't believe any everything you read, see, or hear. And I'm going to throw podcasters in there with um, the, the press in general as being uh, manipulative and dishonest at some points. Um, you know, just because a podcaster or a news person says something doesn't make it true. Many times you will look into the facts of these cases and you will find that you have been misled, you have been lied to, and you've been made to feel a certain way um, because there's no money in guilt. The, they make their money in you know people thinking that, that all these people are innocent and they want to help them and get them out. There's no money in somebody uh, investigating, doing an investigative, and I'm doing air quotes right now, you can't see my butt an investigative podcast, a real-time investigative podcast, and saying that somebody is guilty. There is no money in that. Um, So their investigation has to only take you one way, and you have to keep that in mind when you're listening and taking in this information. Agreed. Everything.
0: I mean, this is a really, uh, just to sum up, I think this is a really sophisticated wrongful conviction PR case. And if you can understand all the sleights of hand in this case, you can understand um, how, how the whole movement works and what's, what it's about. Um, So I, I think it's a, I mean, I really thought when I did my last episode with Gary, I thought, you know, this would be it, but this, the, the grift keeps on going. I can't, I just can't believe it. I really thought I was done with this case forever. So, um, anybody have any questions? We've been going for more than an hour, so I think we're almost ready to wrap it up. Anyone have, when did Jason get divorced? Does anybody know any, when he got divorced?
2: I don't know exactly. I know he, he was complaining about being locked out of the house a couple of months ago. I uh, you know I, I haven't really looked at the divorce I don't even know if you can access the divorce records in in uh, Austin to find out the actual facts on that. Probably can, but I haven't tried.
0: Yeah, I would love to talk to Holly Baldwin
2: and
3: <laughs> you know get the maybe Mara Leverett can, can do... file a Freedom of Information Act request <laughs> and get us those records. Uh, they may
2: well be on record. I mean, it may be perfectly, probably is, but I just haven't done it. I, I'm I try not to get too involved in their personal stuff, but kind of hard not to.
0: Um, so Gary, where can people find you?
2: Uh, well, you can buy my books at Amazon and uh, I've still doing the podcast called the case against
0: William.
1: Uh, most of my stuff, it really is, is on my podcast now, William Ramsey investigates. So you can check that out on any podcast service, iTunes Podbean, any of those, uh, and all my books are available on my website, William Ramsey Investigates. If you want to get Abomination, it's dated now. It's published it in 2012. Um, but uh, you can buy it there. And I just published a new book, Global Death Cult. It's a real, it's pretty dark stuff. But uh, that just came out. It fixed all the formatting, which uh, was a whole nother story. But uh, uh, also, I have five documentaries on Vimeo. You can learn about Alistair Crowley there, prophet
0: of Evil, if you're interested. Jennifer, anything you want to plug?
3: No, I've got nothing to plug. I'm just a mom. So <laughs> a mom and a wife, you can find me lurking around the internet. Excellent. All right.
0: Thank you guys. Thanks everybody. And uh, thanks everybody for showing up and uh, thank you to my uh, Patreon supporters who make this possible and to my
3: producer Addie. Thanks everybody. Thank thanks you. Roberta.
1: Thanks for having us.